You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall. And Graham, before I get into anything, it's good to have you back on the show. I know we took a little bit of a break. You were under the weather. I was under the weather. But finally, as fall camp is about halfway through, uh, we're both back at full strength and ready to go with these podcasts. So I'm glad I'm glad you're doing well <laughs> and ready to be back on the show. It's good to be here, man. Of course, you and I are pretty smart, I'd like to say. And we knocked it out before the season started so we can really go. put the pedal to the metal and keep going. And it has been, I'll say this, an enjoyable grind for the first two weeks of fall camp here. Something nearly every single day. And I would say that we've learned a lot so far about this team, even though they're still halfway left. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's jump right into it. We, we've seen now two weeks of Florida's fall camp practices. Remember, teams can start fall camp a month before their season opener. So Florida got things started on August 3rd ahead of their season opener against number seven Utah on September 3rd. Uh, we, we don't get to watch a ton in terms of what we see actually at practice. Media is only in there for about 14 minutes a day which is obviously limiting, but we've heard plenty, Graham. We have seen some things in the limited window. I'll ask you kind of broadly, what what are your early impressions, perhaps your biggest takeaways from this first two weeks of camp? Well, from what we've seen in those 14-minute windows, you know, this is an environment that is pretty conducive towards development. I mentioned no music. Uh, it's pretty animated from a coaching standpoint, but you have a lot of guys who are standing pat, listening most of the time. When we've been in there, like I said, the structure is evident. And I got to say, from what I've seen of the offensive line and Florida's defense, it's hard to feel uh, right now as if those units have not taken a leap forward. From the two coaches, the addition of Osiris Torrance, the return of three starters, who they have in a fourth-year guy in Michael Tarquin, I think you could say right now that the strength of that offense could be the offensive line right now. And that was not something Florida has been able to say in previous preseason camps under John Hevesy. And even during the Jim McElwain era, the recruiting, I think, could still catch up to where fans want it to be. But right now, the development and who they have on the roster from an experience standpoint, that unit has really stood out to me. I think you have to give Billy Napier a whole lot of credit for the setup, the hiring of two position coaches there, because I think that there's no excuse for that unit going through a drop-off in 2022 compared to 2021. And from right now through two weeks, it looks like they're going to make a leap. No, no doubt. And I think you you hit the nail on the head with something really important about what we've been able to observe ourselves despite the limited observation window for media. And it's that these practices really are structured. I think Billy Napier has done a good job and his players have recognized it of coming in and implementing a system where everything has its place on a schedule where every player knows where and when he needs to be somewhere. And it's created a sense of structure that I think players can see potentially translating to Saturdays. Whereas under previous coaching staffs, that didn't exist. We've heard actually a lot of players talk about how if there was one thing that was really missing, and there were several things, but if there was a, a key thing, it was discipline. And, and that the team was lacking that last year. It showed in the terms of the amount of penalties that the team was committing. Uh, it seemed kind of like there were certain players who might have been doing things on their own accord rather than trying to stick with a game plan and operate within the confines of what the coaching staff wanted them to do. Uh, and, and that's changed. I think we've seen 
uh, pretty strong evidence that the structure within practices is is very clean. It seems like everybody knows what to do and when to do it. Uh, and we, and the feedback we've heard has been has been strong with regard to structure. Uh, you mentioned defensive line and offensive line. What what other units are standing out here? I know we've talked a lot about running back. Uh, that's a deep unit with four guys who could contribute. What what have you seen from them maybe and, and any other units? Yeah, when you talk about the running back unit, I think that that's one that we really didn't have a good sense of in the spring because you still had two guys that are making a huge impact right now who really were either not on campus or they weren't able to really contribute full out. Uh, let's start with Naquan Wright. You know, he had that devastating injury at the end of last season still working his way back throughout the spring, really couldn't partake in a lot of winter workouts when the staff first got on campus. So they didn't really have a good impression of what he brought to the table as well. And then they bring in another running back, Montrell Johnson, who they're familiar with from being at Louisiana. And maybe people start believing that they're going to see him usurp guys like Naquan or Lorenzo Lingard on the roster. From what we're hearing right now, that's not really the case. I've been told Naquan is, is back nearly to full strength if he isn't already there. He's been going full out in practices. And I think that he's going to be Florida's starting running back. And then another guy who wasn't even on campus in Trevor Etienne, that's someone who initially I think it was a little bit touch and go for him at the beginning of practice, but he's really hit his stride in the past week. Could be used at kick return, as could Naquan Wright. And they have four guys really that they just feel extremely as if they are capable heading into the season of carrying the load, whether it's Johnson, Lingard, Wright, or ETN. And so I, I think when you talk about that unit and you talk about the offensive balance where, yeah, Florida was able to run the ball last year over 200 yards per game, but it really wasn't what I think anyone would say was an extremely successful rushing attack. I think that you will see improvements in that regard this year. And obviously that's contingent on Naquan continuing to develop and get back to full strength. But from what we've heard so far, having an impact true freshman, and then a guy who's what in his fifth year in Lorenzo Lingard, you just feel like this has a, a bunch of capable backs. Whoever has the ball yeah. is going to, I think, be able to contribute this season. Right. And, and, and I think you, one thing that has been a standout to me in particular from, from this fall camp, if there's one player who I think has been maybe a surprise, I don't Surprise feels like a strong word, but but maybe doing more than was expected is Trevor Etienne. I, I I think that he is a guy who, given the strength of the unit, Florida brings back Naquan Wright, brings back Lorenzo Lingard, a former five-star prospect, brings in Montrell Johnson, the former uh, Sunbelt Freshman of the Year in 2021. Uh, the, you know, that that's a very strong group of three runners. And then you have a guy in in Trevor Etienne, who has the, you know, the family ties. We know that he comes from a, a talented uh, background. We've, we've heard that he's a good runner, uh, but there are questions, obviously, of whether or not he's going to be able to come in and contribute right away because, again, it's a deep unit. He's the youngest guy, so where, where does he kind of fit in? Uh, and I would say that I've been slightly surprised to hear that he is a guy who is emerging as a, as a real candidate, not only to get reps out of the running back position, but like you mentioned – Maybe he does end up returning kicks and punts. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a big leap for a guy who came in as somebody who could have very easily have been the fourth person in a four-deep room. And I don't think anybody would have bat an eye if that was the case. And it really seems as though he's at least competitive to maybe earn second, maybe third team reps. Although I will say, and I posted about this on our website, this does seem like a situation where everybody on scholarship is going to play. I think that this is probably one of the deeper units on the team, probably one of the more talented 
units on the team. Uh, and, and it brings me to my next question. We, you actually wrote a story today. We're recording this on Tuesday, August 16th, uh, about Florida's wide receivers. And, you know, we talk about depth at running back. I'm not so sure that that same depth exists at receiver. And you even wrote that, that Trent Whittemore, one of the highlight guys in the unit, was saying that they didn't perform to their standards in Florida's first scrimmage. Where is that unit in terms of overall capability right now? Do you feel as though they're, they're game ready, like Utah gets here and that unit's good to go? Where do things stand? I think the take right now is actually that it's hard to get a sense of how good that unit is. I think it'd be a little unfair to come out here and say, hey, just because they didn't have an amazing scrimmage that that unit's not going to be great this season. Sure. Let's go over it. I mean, they're, they're missing Ricky Pearsall, who, you know, that number one wide receiver, you have him out, and then you're also rotating quarterbacks, shuffling offensive linemen, having different guys work with different units. That can kind of lead to a drop-off in production. You want to use that buzzword possibly, chemistry. They just haven't fully got it all down yet, the timing between quarterback and, and wide receivers, and that's because of, the yeah, the camp setup, but also some of the injuries in the room. Um, losing Jamarcus Weston as well, that's a guy that they were expecting to contribute. He's currently um, a non-contact participant. I think he will be back in time for the season from what we're hearing. But you talk about guys who are on the cusp and haven't really fully produced at the rate that I think that they're going to be asked to the season. And, and there's a lot of question marks. I, let's start with Trent Whittemore. I mean, that's a guy who had devastating injuries in back-to-back -back years. Last year, they thought he almost broke his ankle. I think it was in that LSU game. And then the season before, he had a punctured lung and a broken rib. Really has not been able to amass more than 20 receptions in a season. And, and they're looking to count on him for more this year. You lose a top 10 wide receiver in the SEC last year as well in Jacob Copeland, a guy who, yeah, he only hauled in 41 passes, but it was for more than 600 yards, which, as I said, good for number seven in the SEC last year. You can't really say that that's a nothing loss in my mind. Someone's going to need to step up, whether it's Justin Shorter, who had a good season as well last year, 40-plus catches, but 100 yards less than Copeland, whether it's Jaquavion Frazier's, uh, or whether it's the Juco transfer, Ty Chakiao Bowman, who I have heard good things about as well. You know, we talk often about transfer wide receivers, and the first one who comes up is Ricky, but you can't really discount Ty, in my opinion. I think they brought in two guys who are going to see the field uh, a good bit this season. So considering all that, the fact that Ty is still coming along, Ricky is out, and the other guys really are playing a larger role and with two different quarterbacks, and I think it has led to a little bit of a dip in production compared to what this unit thinks they're capable of doing this season on the field. And so I don't want to come out here and say, hey, I don't think that they're going to have capable wide receivers this year. It's going to be a weak passing attack because I don't really get that sense. What sure. really kind of, and this is a segue for, I think, us here, but what really kind of interests me is we haven't heard too much about tight end production from a receiving standpoint. And we know that that's going to be a focal point of Billy Napier's offense. And until we really right. hear, I think, more positive things, that's a bigger concern for me right now than I would say even the wide receiver wideout unit is. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just open the floor for you to continue here. I mean, what what is the concern? Florida, I, I, seven players deep in that unit right now. Dante Zanders, a former defensive end who was a tight end when he was a freshman, uh, is now back in the tight end room and perceived to be potentially the first team tight end for the Gators as kind of the most all-service guy He's capable of blocking as a bigger body. He's, we've heard some good things about his ability to catch a pass. Uh, Keon Zipper is another guy who returns, but, but kind of profiles more as a blocking tight end. What, 
what what is it that either worries you or you know is encouraging about this unit what where where is it at yeah the use of 12 man makes me think that dante and keon could see the field this year absolutely at the same time i just i don't get a sense it's kind of similar to trevor Etienne. i don't get a sense that the freshman would be capable of contributing at a high rate and a lot of it it, it comes down to just where they would be as freshmen especially from a blocking standpoint you have guys coming back from injury and Nick Elksness and Jonathan Odom. And then you have two senior guys in Dante Sanders and Keon Zipper. I would think that the latter group, the more experienced group, is just going to get on the field more just based on where they're at physically, their knowledge of the system, and the familiarity with the personnel within the building. I, I think that Dante Sanders is kind of a save, saving grace. I, I think if they didn't convince him to come back, leave the transfer portal, and buy back into the staff – they'd be in a much worse spot right now because they added three freshmen. One didn't arrive on campus. Keon clearly is not what they are looking for at the position here. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm with you. Dante right now has the best case to be in the best, is in the best position to be the number one tight end this season. And that was not the case eight months ago. Sure. So it's a very interesting position, how good they can be in the receiving standpoint, I think will be up to Xanders. He was an impactful player in the orange and blue game from a receiving standpoint. I believe he hauled in five receptions. He did. I think that he gives you your best chance to contribute on the field from a production standpoint. Who plays alongside him? Who else is able to contribute in the rotation? That's an interesting question moving forward. I think Florida has to answer. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would say also one thing to keep in mind is that Billy Napier has shown a tendency in the past to like to, relea- to lean, excuse me, on his tight ends. He used plenty of 12 personnel groupings, which for those of you who don't know, is one running back and two tight ends at a time. Uh, he did that a lot at, at Louisiana. And William Piegler, Florida's tight ends coach, uh, had said in the spring that he wouldn't be surprised to see the team going into 12 personnel uh, formations up to 40% of the time. So it, it, it does sound like Florida is keen on using the unit as much as possible. I do think that you bring up a valid question, though, and who is it that's going to contribute enough that's going to allow them to be able to use these heavier packages where they bring in multiple tight ends at a time. Uh, but, but it's certainly something that we'll have to keep an eye on. And, and my next question for you is we've talked about the strength of Florida's receiving game, whether that's, you know, the, the wide receivers performing with uh, in practices and scrimmages, whether that's the tight ends performing in practices and scrimmages. And, and I do think that there's a reasonable question given those concerns in that conversation, which is, how much of this at this moment can be placed on the quarterback play at Florida? Uh, What have you heard potentially about the performances of guys like Anthony Richardson and Jack Miller? Uh, And and how much does that contribute to what we're talking about where we haven't necessarily heard glowing reviews about the receiving aspect of what the wide receivers and tight ends are doing? Yeah. When it comes to Anthony Richardson, I've heard some people in the building suggest that there are still issues that they would like to see improved, whether they are read issues or missing your target, missing a, a, a guy who's open. He still has work to do. And I said this in the spring that anyone expecting him to come in here and be Heisman Trophy winning type quarterback, Cam Newton type, I think was going to be disappointed because I had kind of a unique perspective having covered him in high school. I knew where his football knowledge was. I know he's an extremely cerebral and intelligent player. My long-term concerns are 
lesser than my term concerns. Is he able to make up enough ground in one year as the guy to come out here and have this 3,000 yard season and cut down on the turnovers? I was not willing to put my money where my mouth is necessarily when I told people that I thought he was capable of doing that this season. Because as we're clearly hearing, there are some things he still needs to work on. And I do get the sense that the program, and I hate to even phrase it this way, I do get the sense that they are grateful for landing Jack Miller III. You know, that is a guy who prepares the right way, is an accurate quarterback. He is hard on himself in all the right ways. He continues to develop behind the scenes. And they trusted him to go out there and, and participate in about 30, 35% is what I was heard of the scrimmage the other day, if not more. And that is a guy that had some nice plays. He had a deep touchdown to Jaquavion Frazier's in Saturday's scrimmage. Yeah, he got picked off, but what quarterback doesn't? I think that when you have a guy like Jack Miller, it really gives you a chance to fully invest in putting Richardson out there, knowing that you have this security blanket, in a sense, if you need to go with another quarterback. But still, let's, let's reassure everyone, Anthony Richardson is still Florida's starting quarterback. I think he has the highest ceiling without a doubt. Is he perfect right now? No, but the way he's preparing, I think he will continue to get closer to that. Sure. I just don't know what the timeline is with that or whether it's at the beginning of the season, the middle of the season or, or next season, possibly. Sure. And, and and just to reiterate something you said, so there is no mixed messages here. I, I, I think you and I are both uh, under the impression that there is absolutely no way Anthony Richardson is going to give up that number one spot. That's not what we're saying. I think we're saying that there might be some things that are left to be desired based on his performance so far in camp. And it's not necessarily that he's been terrible or anything like that. And we don't foresee, you know, some, un, you know, unexpected competition between Jack Miller and Anthony Richardson. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that there might be some room for improvement. And one thing I want to just read directly, uh, we had an opportunity to speak to Billy Napier on Monday. Again, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, and one of the things that was asked of him was how did the quarterbacks perform during your first scrimmage of the fall. And this is, I'm just going to read his quote exactly for people. Uh, he said, I thought the defense did a good job of limiting explosive plays. I think that we didn't score touchdowns in the red zone. That was an objective that we didn't meet on offense. The defense obviously contributed to that. Overall, we did turn it over a few times. So the quarterback efficiency wasn't what we wanted it to be. Now, does that mean I think a lot of things contribute to that when you're playing with a mixture of lineups, different positions, and different players? It can be better. That's what I would say. So again, I think you and I touched on exactly what he had already talked about, and that was that they are mixing around the lineups. Guys are playing with different people at the quarterback position, and that obviously makes it difficult to nail down the timing at this point in camp. But you know, as you just said very eloquently, and as Billy Napier said when we spoke to him yesterday, there's room to be better at the quarterbacking position. Uh, and I would say that it's also a perfect segue to what we're talking about next, and it's that the defense has seemingly stepped up big time. I think we've heard a lot of really good things uh, about guys like Javon Dexter, uh, Brenton Cox has performed well. I personally have heard several times that uh, Ventrell Miller has looked really good uh, in, in team settings during practices. Uh, Trey Dean is another guy who stood out quite plainly uh, in our conversations with people. What what are you hearing about the defense? I know they had a really good day during Florida scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, again, like I just read from Billy Napier, it sounds like they were very limiting in terms of overall points allowed. Yeah, I think that the defensive line is going to be one of the more impressive units for Florida this year. Jervon Dexter, there was high expectations for him this season. People were even talking possibly about him being this potential first-round NFL guy after this year. And we've seen that time and time again, not to 
rip anyone here, but Emory Jones at that time was perceived to be a possible first round pick in the next year's draft. It happens all the time. So you really kind of have to take it with a grain of salt in a sense. And I think that with what we've heard so far through two weeks, and I don't really want to you know, pump too much sunshine here, but Dexter has been absolutely dominant on a defensive line that needs guys to step up inside in the interior. You know, mm-hmm. that other defensive tackle spot next to him, I think is a huge question mark. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but between Dexter and Princely Umen Mielen, I think that really Florida feels really good about those two guys. And Dexter was just dominant during the scrimmage. I know that they were missing a couple offensive linemen from that starting unit on Saturday, but Dexter consistently got in the backfield. He created pressure, um, forced some quarterbacks into bad throws, even though they were in those non-contact jerseys, you know, they had to take off and get away from him. And I I think that that does lead in an overall more sound performance by Florida secondary, which is what I think you also heard coming out of that scrimmage. Trey Dean, he was good. Kamar Wilcoxon as well. A lot of guys in that unit, Devin Moore was involved in several pass breakups. This is a a unit right now that I think is going to be one of Florida's strengths. And we've written about the scheme, the usage of five defensive backs in this system. And then you talk about the involvement of Patrick Tony. Many Florida fans were using the point that Todd Grantham's scheme was holding the players back, limiting the ceiling of the players. And with much of these same guys now back in the building and then the added return of Ventrell Miller, it does sound as if early impressions are that those changes have led to a lot more dominant defensive play right. here in Gainesville. Now, will that continue when the season arrives and, and they're no longer having these inter-squad competitions? That remains to be seen. But right now, the defense has been winning a large part of the live action. And I think that you can give a, a credit to both the scheme and the veterans that they have. Sure. And I think that this scheme does do a, a really good job of creating deception, uh, especially along its defensive front. Brenton Cox is going to play a very dynamic role in this defense this year because that jack linebacker position in patrick tony's defense is kind of asked to do a lot of things it's a it's a jack of all trades uh you know he will be asked to drop into pass coverage uh he will have man assignments he will be asked to cover the flat and zone situations and he will be a pass rusher and depending on what he's doing there's a a corresponding move throughout the rest of the defense if he's pass rushing then the defensive front is usually the group that's going to be pass rushing maybe there's a fifth player that joins them. If he's dropping back into coverage, somebody else from somewhere else on the field is going to replace him as a pass rusher. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is Patrick Tony said, I will always have four pass rushers. Now, granted, we can we can debate the meaning of the term always. I'm certain that there will be some situations in which he does not. But a minimum of four pass rushers in most situations, I think, is a very interesting thing because it will require guys from other parts of the field to become pass rushers. And that creates a deception and it keeps opposing quarterbacks on their toes. So I, I like that. It sounds like it's been working against Florida's offense, uh, at least so far. And I will add, though, that, that there is a theme in most fall camp practices, and this is a national thing. This isn't just uh, with regard to Florida, that the defense will get off to a faster start most of the time in camp, in spring ball, than the offense will. It's a byproduct of, you know, see ball, get ball is kind of at the end of the day what defense has to worry about, whereas offense really does have to be on its on its cues to make sure that it is completing plays and moving forward. So I, I, I do think that, you know, fans who are concerned potentially that the offense hasn't taken that step forward and that the defense continues to kind of be that dominant force 
in practices and scrimmages. I would say, you know, quell the concern, bring it back uh, a little bit. You can reasonably settle down uh, because, again, I, I do think that there is a, a factor in which it's just still we haven't even reached the halfway point of camp and, and the offense could just need more time to get into a rhythm. Uh, but it's something to keep an eye on at, at this point. And it brings me to my next question, and that is, what what things do you still want to see? I'm certain that you know offensive improvement and quarterback play improvement are on your list. Are there other things that that you might still be looking for in these next two weeks? Yeah, you know, you mentioned the defense. Let's talk about two, I think, very interesting position battles moving forward. Let's talk about that other defensive line spot next to Princely and Jervon. I've heard several names here that could be used as contributors. We'll start with one of them. Jalen Lee is a guy who's been on campus for several years, but really hasn't seen too much action on this Florida team. I think that he has a chance to contribute this season, as well as a freshman, Chris McClellan. Is he able to, similar to Trevor Etienne and some of the other guys we talked about, is he able to give you consistent reps 13 games out of the year as an 18-year-old? I, I don't know if that is something that he is capable of, but it sounds like he's going to be involved in the rotation. Another guy that I could kind of be, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he stepped up and actually commanded this role eventually, but Tyreek Sapp, a guy who people are very, very high on a former top 100 guy. And he arrived on campus a little bit late last year and, and hit the ground running this spring here has dealt with some minor injuries in camp. I don't know where that is going to, if it's going to play a part in, hindering his chances of locking down that role. But I do get the sense from talking with people in the building that they still feel that he has the highest potential this season of playing one of those three defensive line spots next to Dexter. So I, that's an interesting one to me right away. And then I'll go to the Will linebacker spot. Amari Burney, I think a lot of people expected him to lock down that role. I know that they've worked with Derek Wingo there. Mm -hmm. Antoine Powell, Ryland Jr. is someone as well that, you know, I wouldn't be too surprised if he ends up playing some as well there. But is it going to be Bernie? Or are they going to go with a younger guy who maybe they think has a higher ceiling at that position? That is one that I'm going to continue to watch. Same thing uh, with Bernie as to Sap. He was limited for uh, portions of practice uh, last week here, and it gave them a chance to work with some other guys in the position. Did they like what they saw enough to think that they could use someone here in a valuable role next to Ventro Miller in that defense, that's something I'm going to have to keep watching for the next couple of weeks. Sure. And, and I, uh, the things I'll add to that is I am curious to, to see how the running back rotation distribution continues to progress. I think, like I said earlier, we are expecting that all four of Florida's scholarship running backs are going to get reps this season, but obviously, you know, it, it, there will come a time where that's no longer going to be equal if it even ever starts that way. Uh, Billy Napier has shown, you know, in the past at Louisiana that he has no fear to play true freshmen if they feel like, if he feels like they're ready to play. Uh, and so it brings me to the question of how much will Trevor Etienne actually contribute? Will, will, will he be, you know, one of the prominent members of the group? I've heard so far that he absolutely is. It, you know, he could even be the second team running back at the moment with Montreal Johnson potentially also kind of pushing for those second team reps. But it's a, still a close battle in that room. And I think that that's one of the areas that I'm waiting to see uh, how it kind of shakes out. And another spot I just wrote about it is how will Florida handle the kicker situation? We're hearing that Billy Napier said outright, it's still a competition. Uh, retro freshman Adam Mahalik is a walk-on who performed exceptionally well in Florida's spring game. He converted field goals from 48 and 52 yards off the top of my head. Uh, Chris Howard is no longer a part of the program. He transferred, I believe, to Memphis uh, in April. 
And then newcomer, freshman, Trace Mack. Uh, he, five-star kicker, according to Cole's kicking, coming out of high school in the 2022 class. Uh, and it sounds like it's a battle between Mihalik and, and Smack at the moment. And, and again, I think that you know some people will hear that and laugh and go, wow, is that really one of your biggest questions as, as we get into the final two weeks of camp? And I would say absolutely. I think it can go uh, underappreciated just how important kicking is until it really matters. And I think people only realize how important the position is when it messes up. So uh, that'll be something to follow. And then, you know, just to circle back to the bigger themes, how do Florida's quarterbacks adjust in the coming weeks? Do they continue to improve? Is that an area of concern potentially for the first couple weeks? Uh, we know Utah plays an extremely disciplined brand of football, especially on the defensive side. So Florida will really have to be on its game uh, if it hopes to come out with a win against the number seven team in the country. Uh, and then I'll just, you know, your your defensive questions were were big things that I'll be keeping an eye on too. Uh, any final thoughts, Graham? I think that, that that just about does it for us for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. But as always, I will end with your final thoughts. Anything that you think people should keep an eye on? Uh, what, what, what's, 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 your last, what's your last word here, Graham? I think everything you said of that last point, especially about Billy Napier being unafraid to put the best player on the field, whether they're a freshman, whether they're a six-year senior, whoever it is, He's confident that the best player out there should be the best player out there. And I think that fair or unfair, the previous regime, Dan Mullen and his coaching staff developed a reputation that they were going to play by seniority. So that right there of everything we just talked about position battles, the philosophy question, the differences in philosophy in deciding those battles between Dan Mullen and Billy Napier is one of the stark differences in my mind. No longer are we really having to factor in, Hey, is this guy going to get more reps because they've been here longer? You now can absolutely have conversations like, is Trevor Etienne ahead of Lorenzo Lingard? And in the past, you'd have to kind of give that caveat to it. So it really has changed a lot of the discussion possibilities that we can have here when it comes to some of these battles. And in a sense, you know, people have asked me often, what are the differences between the two regimes? And I think that's one right there that before they've even coached a game, we can sit here and talk about and say that Billy Napier has let freshmen come in and compete for reps, whether it was Montrell Johnson last year or Trevor Etienne this year. One of those guys is going to rush more than the other one. And knowing that it's going to be based on their talent rather than what they've done in the past, I think is just extremely refreshing for us to cover as media members and also for fans out there. So that's one of those things that I think often goes under the radar, underappreciated that it's worth mentioning at this time of year. Well, there you go. You, uh, you have informed the people and we're going to end it on that note. So, uh, Audience, you have been warned by the great Graham Hall to keep an eye on those things. Uh, for this episode, though, that'll do it for us. Uh, again, my name is Jacob Rudner, joined by Graham Hall. We appreciate all your time listening, and we will see you on the next episode. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.